Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Player FM, and Block Talk Radio. Your host, Oscar Lopez, episode 256 in the house for Gridiron Blitz. And today we are going to be talking about uh, some exciting changes. Obviously, the divisional round in the NFL. Uh, we're going to be talking AAAF, the Alliance of American Football today. And on the total two hour slate here, we are going to be talking to pioneer uh, Jamie Bornall and also Callie Bronson former DC Diva, now Dartmouth uh, football coach. So she could be coming in in a couple minutes here uh, on the Gridiron Blitz. And later in the hour, we're going to be talking women's news and notes. As a lot of things are happening over in Gridiron West, uh, in Baffa Women in the UK as well, the Sapphire Series continues. And we're going to be talking LFL offseason news, uh, free agents acquires in different locations as well. And the cancellation of the World Women's Football Game for 2019 as uh, we got news that it will be restarted back in 2020. So we'll see how true that is. But let's bring in to uh, the Gridiron Blitz, our panel here. We should be joined today by star and Hall of Famer Holly Custis, as well as former IWFL Championship quarterback Louise Bean. And later in the hour, we should have uh, college football girl Troy Wilson, as well as Mackenzie Brooks along the way. Let's bring in our panel here. Uh, Luis and Holly, you guys on? Yeah, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm doing great because the Rams won, Holly. You feeling pretty good? I'm feeling very good. Uh, I'm I'm hashtagging McVeigh all the way. That's my hashtag now, going forward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a big win. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, – I don't think everything went the Rams' direction, but uh, they did enough to, to um, move on, and that's really what counts. Well, you know what? I was kind of worried about the defense when we talked about it on the last mm-hmm. podcast, but it just seemed like they contained uh, Elliott pretty well, so it wasn't a big difference. But what about C.J. Anderson, Holly? What a big difference in that pickup. That's, that's a bonus. Oh, totally. I mean, when you have – a back like Gurley in the backfield, and then you add a second guy like CJ that uh, can be the um, the change of pace back. Um, I mean, I think between the two of them, they had close to 250 yards rushing, and I think it's a really it was a really smart game plan to go that direction to take some pressure off of golf. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks of the regular season, golf kind of seemed to be struggling a little bit. Uh, I think. Um, especially without having Cooper Cup um, out there to help him. I think it was a smart play to go with the running game, and it paid off. Yeah, I think that change made a big difference. Uh, when you put in seven to eight men on, in the box, Elliott was not going to be the factor, and it was going to force Prescott to throw out there, and it that really was the game plan. Definitely. Um, I mean, anytime you can make a, a team more one-dimensional, uh, the better, especially when that team typically relies on that one dimension you're taking away. And um, I think the defense uh, played actually pretty well. 
Um, so, you know, congrats to the Rams. All right, Luis, I know you're hurting like Mackenzie was hurting, but uh, what a game. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Dallas had their chances. Um, seriously, Anderson, that boy's a big boy. That That's big boy football right there when he runs. Oh, my gosh, he's just a big guy. And I heard him on ESPN today, radio. They were talking to him, and, you know, he had to fight through injuries and and, uh, you know, he was way down on the depth chart last year. And so, you know, I'm all about good stories like that, showing hard work and perseverance. And, um, I mean, there was a fourth down that Dallas didn't get where they just ran Elliott right up the gut. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's a crazy call. But I know McKenzie's going to be sad to hear that Jerry Jones came out and said, hey, we're keeping him. I mean, the <laughs> – you mean Jason Garrett? Jason Garrett's yeah. coming back? Yep. Hashtag we love uh-huh. Jason Garrett. <laughs> Hashtag we love, yeah. So they, Jerry Jones announced it today, saying that if we if they'd released him two weeks ago, that he'd have five uh, head coaching offers. That's probably a little high. But he just said, mm-hmm. you know, you have to think of the alternative. So the, the comment made me think sometimes you're not going to get anyone better, so just keep what you have kind of comment. <laughs> That's what made me think yeah. of it. I mean, he's so, not a bad coach, per se. In a way, he's not a bad coach, like a horrible coach, because he does get his teams to the playoffs, you know what I mean, and get the job done that way. But yeah. he's kind of like a Fisher mentality, which is kind of get to the playoffs, but nothing really fancy or beyond the playoffs. And I think that's where Cowboy fans are kind of like, okay, well, it's great. He gets, he gets us here, but we don't go deep. And I think that's really like what everybody was wishing for. That's that's the one thing that I criticized Jeff Fisher when he was playing the Rams. Opportunity that to even get to the playoffs wasn't even there. That's the reason I was, like, so bitter and disgusted with it because if you're not going to get your team to the playoffs, then why are you coaching? You know what I mean? you got to get to the playoffs. It's just the way it is. It's like you have to have that mindset. But, um, uh, Luis, what about the other game? Philly, we knew that they had to come in with a good game plan against the Saints given with the result against Chicago, and look what happened. They really did not – I mean, they started early. They they got on board. But once you give, you know, Drew Brees and company some time to kind of settle in, they, they kind of show that they are, they're the better team. Yeah, I think that the potential turnover that happened that did not go uh, when it was 14-0, to and they knocked the ball out of uh, Drew Brees' hands, and then the – Philadelphia Eagle lineman had it in his hands, didn't keep possession. New England or uh, New Orleans got it back. I think that was a big deal because they would have had the ball at like the 30. And then uh, obviously the fourth down conversion, the fake punt by my boy Taysom, uh, that was a big deal. And then they're playing at home. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I really wanted New Orleans to win just because after Dallas lost, then they're the team I'm going to root for. But I got to tell you, I'm going to blame Amanda, D.C. quarterback Amanda. She's been talking so much trash about Dallas and her new her Eagles that I just thought, you know what? She deserves to have the Eagles lose because she is trash talking. So, Louise um, calling out a Kungaldi, awesome. Yeah, it's all her fault. So, uh, anyways, I, and also everyone's just always talking about Foles this and Foles that, and you know they want to build a stinking statue next to. Troy, Troy would verify this. 
stinking statue next to Rocky. And I just thought, you know what? Their magic needs to run out. I'm kind of tired of this storyline. So good game, good game. Came down to the end. I do think they would have won it if that guy hadn't missed that catch uh, for the inter- and then the interception, but I think they would have won it. We just saw it happening. Holly, how, how, how did you see that play out? The Saints just literally took control after that, but there were some key moments where the Eagles had opportunities. Well, I think um, the Eagles came out, you know, they couldn't have had a better start, starting out 14-0, creating turnovers. And, you know, uh, I actually think that the Eagles are going to have some decisions to make in offseason about who do you want to be your quarterback because, uh, you know, Foles didn't play great in this game, but there's something about Foles that the Eagles offense has a, a bit more swagger when he's on the field compared to Wentz. And so they're going to have to decide which direction they're going to go. Uh, that being said, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we can say about the Saints that is actually a, a great thing about them is that typically they're kind of a finesse team. And one of the great, the, one of the big storylines is uh, with them getting home field advantage is who's going to go into New Orleans and beat them because <clears throat> they're normally, they normally get into a great rhythm at home. And they're, they have so much offensive power. And this was an ugly type of, you know, grind out type of win. And the fact that they were able to do that, you know, every team has to learn how to win ugly at times. And I think it bodes well for the Saints to be like, okay, we didn't play the best game that we can play, but we did enough that we that we pulled out the win. And now let's go, you know, try to win an NFC championship. So I think it actually is good for the Saints to have been tested like that because they're going to be even more tested next week. Um, so, but it was an entertaining game. I really liked the the fake punt. I kind of felt like it was coming. I don't understand why the Eagles didn't feel like it was coming because I was like, well, you know what? They're down 14 and nothing. It's only fourth and one. And they need something. And when they picked up that first down, it, like the whole demeanor of that uh, sideline changed. Um, so mad props to uh, Bean's uh, guy over there, uh, Tyson Hill. Hey, you know that the Eagles uh, head coach came out today and said Carson's our guy. Well, well of course he is. they say that now. <laughs> They say that now, but I don't know. If I can see that there's a difference on that offense, I think Carson's a better uh, – I actually think Carson's a better quarterback. I think what you're seeing is that Foles has a better chemistry with the offense. And so there's a difference. Do you go with the talent or do you go with the chemistry? So that's a decision they're going to have to make. Foles is more expensive. Carson's cheaper right now. No, that well, we know true. that. We know that. The tag <laughs> is obviously a big difference. Um, well, you know what? I, I, what happened to the Luck and, and the Colts? That they just ran out. I mean, they didn't show up. I thought they were going to put up a good fight, and I was so proven so wrong. Well, I think honestly, I wasn't. <clears throat> of all the teams that were left, I think the Colts were playing with house money. I, I, I didn't think they were actually that great. They went on a great run. And they, they've improved a lot since the very beginning of the season, obviously. But I don't think talent-wise they had enough to compete this far into the playoffs. And it was obvious they were completely outmatched, completely outclassed in this game. And But if you're a Colts fan, it's actually not a bad thing because, again, you were playing with house money a little bit. And now you can see, okay, this is the gap between us and a, and a team like the Chiefs. 
<clears throat> let's go out and get some more pieces so we we can get to where they're at. And um, you know, I think for the Chiefs, it was kind of it kind of felt like a regular season game for them. They, they weren't really that challenged. Hey, Louise, um, if you're Tom Brady, you you basically are pissed off right now because I mean, he sounded <laughs> like he's pissed off. Like he's like nobody's given us a, a fighting chance to get in here. We're old. All this stuff in the media talking about him, I think it finally got to him because he literally spoke out and said, you know what, I'm about to tear some people up. Oh, yeah. I saw like a pre-hype commercial for advertising um, the playoff games like a day or so before, and he was speaking in it like in the background of some of the, you know, some of the clips just saying, I've given my life to this. If you think you're going to come in here and, I mean, it was pretty bold stuff. And uh, sometimes when you're when you're that, you don't just turn the other cheek. You just you just, you're, you're the leader of your team. You just say, "Hey, not in my house, not today. Today is not your day." And so, yeah, they really proved it. I didn't get to see that game until like the second half when it was kind of basically decided. And uh, I was surprised at the score when I was able to turn it off. I thought, you gotta be kidding me! But you know, they're playing in a cold weather. He's used to that. There's some amazing stats as far as how many games he's won in single-digit weather. And uh, also the Chargers, they said what they were going to do, and they came in and did it. And Belichick's too smart for that. You, you know, you gotta, you got to scheme each week. And, and uh, yeah, that, that didn't go well. It wasn't the Chargers' day. So good for New England. I hope, I do hope the, the uh, Kansas City beats them just because it would just be fun to see – uh, Patrick Mahomes, I think it would just be a new excitement. Yeah, hey Holly, uh, if you're Tom Brady right now, you're just itching at the fact that you just you're going up against Kansas City, and if you take care of Kansas City, this whole notion that he's over the hill and done is going to be removed. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's be real. Tom Brady is old, but the the, the great thing about him is that he's playing at a level that most people should not even think about playing at, at that age. And I think the thing that most impresses me about Tom Brady really <clears throat> is that when you look at paper, he's never really had, he doesn't have the type of offense of power that like, you know, the Rams or the Chiefs have. He doesn't kind of ha- he doesn't have that weaponry that's consistent. Most of his weapons are banged up left and right. Like I'm pretty sure all of his receivers at some point have been out. Um, I think what's really invigorated the Patriots' offense has been Tony Michelle. Having a consistent running game takes the pressure off of Brady a little bit. Um, but honestly, the 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 unit of the game that won the game for the Patriots was the defense because the Patriots' defense has not been they've not been a juggernaut this year. But the game plan that they had completely disrupted Philip Rivers. They they went a lot of cover zero and blitzed off the edge, and they were they were in the backfield so fast the Rivers didn't have a chance to even settle his feet before he had had to get rid of the ball, and so it made him make a couple of really bad decisions. And if he did get the ball out, it was a really short gain. And so, really, it's the, the defense, and I guess whoever came up with that game plan, who was the coordinator or Belichick, that was really brilliant because the Chargers have been really um, playing well on the offensive side of the ball. And 
The only reason it was that close is because uh, the Chargers picked up some steam at the end and garbage time. Otherwise, it would have been a complete blowout. So, um, yes, Tom Brady has still has some stuff to prove. Uh, uh, when you're that kind of athlete, you you really take any kind of motivation that you need to try to get yourself up for a game. You know, it, it's kind of part of the mental part of the game. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, I think the first round between Brady and Mahomes was, was awesome. So I'm excited to see the second one. All right. So, uh, you know, guys, go to the shop at, at the No Joke Football Shop uh, via Dazzle.com. You can get your stuff there, leggings, tees, everything else. I really appreciate everybody going there and getting their stuff uh, up to 20% off. Get the No Joke Football slogan shirt. That's our most popular shirt that we sell. The Not A Boys shirt. Also, we sell pretty much a lot of. So there's a lot of shirts we sell out there. So check it out. See what, which one you like. Check it out. And you can also use Zazzle Black for $9.99 for the year. It's free shipping. So you go to Zazzle.com, for slash Great Beauties, no joke football shop. So let's go into the huddle, obviously sponsored by Zazzle.com. And we're going to be talking to the legendary and pioneer, Jamie Forno, who's a mile-high blaze in Denver. Jamie, what's going on? Not a lot. How are you? Not a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the default to people to say, like when they say they're fine, even though they're not, they say no, not I a lot when that. a lot's going on. <laughs> uh, so I'm totally stoked and excited to have you on. I had to try to get you on earlier, but what a journeyman you are. And then now you're going to Denver of all places. It's like, what did you do? Uh, let me see here. I wrote down my notes, Cal War Angels, Seattle Majestic, Chicago Force, Dallas Elite, uh, I mean, I think I wrote on my note here, the only uh, place you haven't been is DC Divas in Boston, which I don't know if that's on your bucket list. but <laughs> um, I'm not really an East Coast girl. Uh, it would be nice because they're perennial powerhouses, so it would be interesting to get into an organization like that and have an experience similar to uh, the Chicago Force. It was, I think I, I grew the most as a player with the Chicago Force organization, and I'm actually learning a lot here in uh, Maha as well, and that's not to take away anything from any of the other teams I was a part of, um, but you know, Chicago like I said, they were an established organization, Pernal Powerhouse and so um, they just did things a little bit differently and it was it was really cool Jamie, uh, Grisafi and Gray and everybody else on that squad, I mean that's pretty legendary players you, you're uh, able to uh, hook up with and then you go, uh, what, Cal War Angels, you have you know, Lisa, Lisa King as well, plus all the other players in the Cowboy Angels. Um, and then you jump into the Dallas Elite, Jenkins and company. I mean, so you've been pretty much in every aspect of where you've landed. There have been caliber teams of championship caliber. Yeah, the, and, and I think that's really what I attribute to my success is everywhere that I've been, I've had great mentors, coaches, leaders, teammates. Uh, you mentioned Sen Cal. I started with Lisa King and Destiny Yarborough and Chantel Wiggins. And I even played with Cassie Brick my first year. Uh, she came up and played with us. And then, you know, I went up to Seattle and I had, you know, Adrian and uh, Rasan Gore and, and, and a couple of people up there. And then Chicago, like you, you mentioned, Jay Gray. And uh, unfortunately, Grisafi was on sabbatical at the, t- at the time. So I didn't get to play with her, but still had the, the leadership of, you know, Coach Konecki and Linda Bechet, the owner there. And I really, really learned um, what it means to be a, 
a professional organization while I was in Chicago uh, because they've been around and they're established and they have the resources of, you know, a metropolis, um, Chicago being one of the largest metropolis in the country. Um, I really got a feel for what it would be like to be uh, a player in the NFL. Um, You know, obviously not the paychecks, but, you know, having the training staff and the practice schedule and the expectations, um, that's really, I think, what I can attribute to. And then, like you said, um, Dallas was no different. And it it was really cool because every place I went, I picked up something new and constantly moving around, uh, which was just for personal reasons. I just kind of wanted to see the country and figure out where I wanted to be long term. But um, it gave me new perspective and it always challenged me to grow because I was always constantly a rookie in a sense. Um, I was coming into a new team, had to prove myself, had to learn a new system, uh, had to prove to the coaches that I was worthy of a starting position. And so I really think that um, having traveled all those places and being a journeyman is what has made me so successful on the football field. Jamie, uh, the moment I heard you were going to Denver, I messaged when I said, what did you do to get Burnell? to Denver. This is just like a huge pickup. You know what I mean? It's like a monster pickup. If we had NFL-like coverage, this would have been like breaking news, you know, like Randy Moss, <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. So it's kind of like a big deal, and that's because you've been so durable and reliable. Well, I appreciate that, and um, Randy, I actually don't think I have as good a hands as Randy Moss. I'd like to think that I'm more Larry Fitzgerald-ish, where I'm just kind of a a utilitarian and a workhorse. So whatever I'm asked to do, whatever my role is, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, late in his career, uh, you know, you see him move to the slot and, you know, crack block or, you know, slide in and, you know, he outside scheme blocks. So he really does, and he doesn't necessarily have to do those things at his stage uh, or the stage in his career, but he does because it's what the team needs. And I like to think that that's, that's how I've been and that's how I strive to be at least. Um, so I do appreciate, uh, I'm humbled by that cause I don't see myself quite at that level. Um, I have worked hard and I do think that it's paid off. Um, uh, but yeah, Colorado was just kind of a, you know, a good fit personally. And, and, and I think it's the next challenge. I've only ever played for division one teams. And so it was, it was a little bit of a mental hurdle to, to commit to a D2 team, um, just wondering what the what the competition level was going to be like and if I was going to be, um, you know, satisfied and really felt fulfilled competing there. But um, I really look what they have going on here. It's really a family, and it's, you know, the, the commitment to football is there um, on the coaches and on the players. And, and it's actually some of the best turnouts I've ever had at practices, which is nice. Uh, and I'm sure anybody that's played women's football can attest to the low, the low numbers at practices makes it difficult sometimes. So it's really nice having that. But really, I wasn't planning on playing. I was considering retirement until my girlfriend uh, reached out to Win and wanted to help with the like social media and visual marketing stuff. And then, of course, decided to throw my name out there in the email. So then, of course, Win is like, oh well, you know, I mean, if you know, Jamie wants to come check it out too. So um, they had a Adidas, um, and Jen Welter was having a camp up here, actually, uh, about a couple weeks after we moved here. And so Wynn said, hey, come on down, check it out, you know, uh, and I did, and started to get the itch to play football again, and here I am, padding up for another year. 
Jamie, I'm more excited for you to kind of mold the phenom, Brooke Leash, into a durable quarterback. And then given her weapons like yourself and the rest of the weapons that Wynn already had in place, it's sort of exciting to see a young quarterback with the veteran core of players on the receiver end as well as on the running back end. Um, I think, she, you know, Gwen's done a great job of kind of just molding this roster for obviously a championship run because she really wants to make Ma High a, you know, a staple just like anywhere else, like San Diego, like Dallas, like Boston, like the mm-hmm. D.C. So it's kind of like a drive for her as well. I agree, and it's it's funny because I'm, I'm a Colts fan because I'm from Indiana, so the Colts and the Bears are my teams. But um, Brooke is a huge Kansas City fan, and anybody that knows her on a personal level or has her on Facebook knows that she's a Kansas Chiefs fan. Um, and it's, it's, it's coincidental or ironic, if you will, to see the similarities that are forming between the Mile High Blades this year and the Kansas City Chiefs. Because you look at Patrick Mahomes, who's a pretty mobile quarterback. He's youthful. He's passionate. He's, you know, driven. He's just, I mean, he's he's not starstruck. He's very um, poignant. He's just, he's kind of the total package. And when you look at Brooke and the tools that she has, she has all those same tools. A lot of them just need refining and whatnot, which, you know, comes with age and practice and whatnot. So I really think that she's going to get that. Um, but you look at some of the speed that we have in the backfield, similar to, you know, Kareem Hunt or, I mean, they brought in, I think it's like Williams or something like that now, but you look at what they have in the backfield, the ability to catch out of the backfield, but then also run between the tackles and then find the hole. And then you're gone for 70 yards and you're just outrunning everybody. Um, We have some of that in our running back with Ruby and Tony triplet at receiver. And then we have a, a lot of rookies this year. One is kind of a redshirt rookie at tight end. These girls are big and they move and they move well. And just having seen a little bit of them, it just reminds me of, of watching Travis Kelsey on Sundays. And then you obviously have, have me now on the opposite side of Tony Triplett or smooth Larry Jones. Um, And it's, it's kind of a really cool thing to see come together because while I'm not a Chiefs fan, I, I am starting to see the, the similarities between their team and their weapons and, and ours. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting year, especially offensively. They've always been pretty stout defensively, and that's just mm-hmm. gotten better. Um, especially because we have a really, really great rookie class this year, and I'm excited to see what they can do. Um, but just you know, having some of the vets come in, like myself, uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, year this year offensively to see what we can do. Uh, uh, Jamie, I'm more excited because you were literally inducted into the first class, which I'm honored to be part of the class as well because it was the first of everything, and we got to get started at some point. But when your name came up, it was really nice to see that because you have put in your time. And then on top of that, you know, you've played in, in, in both styles of play that we cover. You know, you played on the legend style of play, and you played uh, on the traditional side, on the full kit side, and then you – uh, instrumental on the other side as well with the bliss and the legends cup appearance with the Chicago with coach hack as well, which we talked a, a couple podcasts ago, but you know, you've done it all pretty much. That's what I'm trying to get at is you've played both styles. You've done well in both sides. And so, I mean, to get the call to me, it was like a no brainer. You had to be there. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because um, <laughs> the whole legends football 
you know, I had my thoughts on it when I, when I first learned about it and first learned about traditional football, the, like through the WFA and I'm big on being open-minded uh, and just experiencing things. And, and I try not to judge and, and my background in research, I think really is kind of why I'm like this. And I, I never wanted to judge anything or formulate an opinion on it until I have experienced it or gotten more information on it. And I just so happened to make friends or befriend a couple of the players. One of the girls works with me at Equinox and they were like, you know what? You should come out. You should come out. You should come out. And I thought, why not? I made Rasan Gore go with me because I was a little, a little, I don't not weirded out about it, but I was unsure about it. And uh, it was really cool. And all the all the things that I I thought those girls and the coaches and the environment would be like were were completely wrong, to to be frank. And it was really cool because I actually made a lot of long term friends. Um, Allie Allie Alberts is is still one of my closest friends to this day despite living in halfway across the country from each other. And it was really cool because there's a level of professionalism there, especially with the way Mitch, you know, demands that that league be ran. And it was cool because I thought that it was important in bridging the gap because um, as women all playing football, we need to band together to bring women's football to the forefront. And it was funny to me how so many traditional football players thought nothing of playing flag football. Like it was okay. It was cool. It was on the same level. But when it came to the legends league type football, they, um, they just didn't acknowledge it as a sport or as an equal. And to me, I thought that that was, I was kind of wrong in a sense because it's just a different type of football, you know, just like flag football is different from traditional football. And so it really allowed me to, because I did have success the the, the short stint I had in the Legends League um, to establish my dominance and my presence there. And so it allowed me to kind of be a liaison between women that play these different these different leagues. And it's cool to see now I'm seeing a lot of crossover between, you know, um, the full tackle 11-on-11 11 11 and the Legends or flag. And that to me is cool because that's really what we need to truly move the game forward is we all need to recognize each other as equals and truly be about, you know, empowering women to do what they want to do and how they see fit. And so I'm actually, some people try to want to razz on me for it, and that's okay. I, it does not bother me one bit because um, it was an experience, and I enjoyed it. I had fun. I made lifelong friends from it. And and I think it truly gave me an understanding of a different uh, facet of women's football and and so I, I think that that's really cool. And again, it just goes back to I think all these things are are what feed into my to my success um, in football in general. And congratulations right, on in. your induction as well. Thanks, I appreciate it. Let's bring in the panel to pick your brain here. Um, you obviously know Holly Custis from Seattle, and then I do. We're gonna have Luke Bean here from the Utah Falcons. So shoot away, Holly. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm glad to see. I saw that you're you're moving over to Denver, and I think that's pretty exciting. Um, <clears throat> between you and Gore, you know, it's really hard to keep up sometimes around the city that you guys are going to. Um, but I think it's pretty awesome that you guys um, were able to do that. Um, what has been the the best part about playing on so many teams? You mentioned that it's it's challenging that you have to you know relearn a, a different offense every time you go someplace but besides that what is the best part about traveling so much uh 
I think there are two things. Um, the first one being the football IQ it's given me. Because I've had to learn so many new offenses and have worked under so many different coaches, it's really broadened my perspective and my knowledge of the game in general because um, I haven't just been in one system my entire career. I've, I've gotten different philosophies and different schemes. And so from that standpoint, I, I think that it's really broadened my knowledge of the game. And um, the second thing is on a personal level, it's allowed me to meet a lot of really awesome people. And I think about um, – I know people all over the country now – and, and fellow football players. And so it's really cool to, to know that whatever city I'm in, I can kind of catch up with people or I can follow them and see how their season is going. And so I think those two things, the camaraderie with so many new people and the ability to expand my football knowledge have been the two best things about traveling around. That that, uh, that seems pretty awesome. Part of me is, has always been a little jealous that you've been able to do that because I, I, <laughs> I think exactly the same thing. I mean, I, I've been on three teams, but I think you, you've outpaced me by far. Um, and it, it has been nice on my end to experience that, but it's kind of like you're on a tour. And I was like, oh, where's Jamie yes. now? Oh, there she is. She's over there. <laughs> um, but that being said, my- since you've played on so many teams. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say my family feels the same way. They're constantly texting me and they're like, are you still in the same spot? If not, can we have your new address? <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, since you've been on so many teams, uh, that means you've played a lot of different opponents. Uh, one of the questions I've been asking people is, who has the toughest team that you have faced in? Ooh. That's a great question. It probably was the D.C. Divas. Um, I was in Chicago 2015, 2016, and so we had to play them once in the regular season and once in the postseason. And at that time, Boston was, I don't want to say in a lull, but they were in between, like, reloading phases, if you will. And they're always difficult because no matter how many girls they have um, or what phase in, you know, their organization's history they are, they are tough. They are they're gritty, they grind, they don't quit, and they're all just athletes. But D.C. at the time was kind of at their peak, and so they were just loaded at every position. They had Wisenant, they had Pickett, they had Washington at tight end, um, they had Hamlin at quarterback, um, and they had hitters on defense. I mean, they had Goldsmith, and they had um, – can't think of the corner's name now, but they had obviously Callie Bronson, um, and and she's like a shit brick house, and so excuse the language, but they were just loaded. And not only did they have just athletes upon athletes, but they had really great coaches. And their organization, um, I'm sure Callie can attest to this, um, is ran very, very, very well. I mean, they have off-season strength and conditioning programs, and they have nutritionists, and they just have they have the full um, you know, smorgasbord of resources. And so I think that they were probably the hardest because they were a run first, pound you into the ground team, and they had the bodies to do it. And they had the schematics to, as soon as you got lulled to sleep, they would put, you know, a 50, 60, 70-yard, you know, play on you, and you're now down like two touchdowns, three touchdowns in the matter of minutes. And so I think that – they were probably the, the toughest team that I played in my career. 
Awesome. Well, a lot of the people that I've talked to have brought up uh, those two teams. So it's interesting that a lot of people are really consistent on that. Um, and uh, what is your goal for this year uh, as a as a player? Uh, what are, what are you trying to accomplish uh, this first year uh, with uh, the team in Denver? Great question. Um, and I've kind of in the last couple of weeks been thinking about this myself because um, I won the the championship in Dallas, which was was really the only goal that I had left to accomplish for me personally. And so I really think that this year I do want to be the catalyst to the national championship. I think they have all the pieces necessary. And so I, that's the, that's the number one is, is helping, helping win the championship, being an integral part of that, whatever role that may be. And I kind of want to see if my presence can't help elevate some other players levels, for instance, Brooke, I would love to see like what her QBR is or her completion percentage or her yards per pass. I would love to see or be a part of helping elevate her game or our running backs. If I'm, if I'm a deep threat or if I'm a threat at wide receiver, does that open up our other wide receiver or does that open up our run game? Um, And the same thing, um, should I play on defense? You know, if I'm called in, coming in and and having an impact on the game, kind of like I did in the championship game in 2017, it's really more so goal oriented and 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 I don't want to use LeBron because one I'm not necessarily a LeBron fan, but I don't think that I'm on that level. But I want to see if my presence doesn't help elevate uh, my teammates' abilities or production, if you will. I think that's the next um, marquee of like a great player is how does their play affect others around them. Anybody can be great on their own and produce numbers. Um, And Kyrie Irving is a perfect example right now in Boston. There's a little bit of, um, I don't know, discord there. And, and it's really just, you look at Michael Jordan, everybody he played with was better when they played with him. And I kind of want to strive to be at that next level where everybody that plays with me is a little bit better. I think that's a, a very valid point because I think if you are a player that's developing into the type of phase that you are in your career, that's really what takes you to the next level is being self-aware of knowing where you're at and seeing, finding little things that you can uh, compare yourself in to try to get better. And if you're getting better and you're getting your team better, then it's a win-win-win. So that's awesome that you think like that. But I kind of already knew that because we go way back, but, um, I'm really excited well, and, that, um, <laughs> and Jay Grace, I have to interrupt you, but I think it's important to, to give props where props are due. And, and I really started to think about this when I moved to Chicago and I was so excited to play with, you know, the likes of, of Jay Gray and, and, and some of the talent they had there. And I just thought about how much better I got by playing with her and seeing her practice and having that friendly competition, if you will. And so, that's really kind of what I want to be. I kind of, cause that, that was Jay Gray's influence on me when I was in Chicago. Um, it kind of took me to the next level and I, I want to be that to somebody else or to, to multiple other people. And so, um, you know, Jay Gray was kind of the inspiration for me to really start thinking about how do I become, how do I get on her level? Cause she was already at that level when I got there. And so I'm just, I'm trying to level up. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm going to pass the baton over to Bean. Uh, congratulations again in making uh, the Hall of Fame. It's well-deserved. 
and uh, I wish you the best this season. I'll be following you. Thank you. You as well. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Hey, so I got a couple questions. So how many teams have you played on? Six? Or did I count it wrong? Five. Okay. So I want you to go through each team in the order that you played for them and give me like one sentence to symbolize your experience with that team. Or maybe – because my next question is going to be a little bit harder. So shoot. Okay. Okay. So I started with the Central Cow War Angels. And – I really learned the fundamentals of football and uh, solidified a passion for the game because my coaches were very passionate. Then I moved to Seattle uh, Majestics. I was there for a year. And what I took from that was the biggest thing probably was my connection with Rasan Gore um, and just learning how to work uh, with a mobile quarterback and um, – in a new system. And then from there, sorry, when I slow it down, it's harder to think about where I went next. Uh, then I went to, uh, then I went to Chicago and that's where my game went to the next level. So my football IQ and really starting when the game slows down and you start to understand, okay, what front are they in? How does that affect my routes? Um, and all of those things. That's really what I learned in Chicago and the professionalism of the sport. And then I went to Dallas, and Dallas was an interesting experience for me. I won the championship, which hands down was was the one thing that I wanted in my career. Um, But what I learned most there is how to fill my role, like a specific role. So what the team needed me to do at that instance is what I took from Dallas. And I haven't played any games with Mile High Boys yet, um, Mile High Blades has reinvigorated my passion for football. Um, I was considering retiring, and uh, they've kind of made it fun again. So that's what I've taken from them thus far. Ah, very good. So then it does. Uh, we can have uh, Holly not listen to this one if we need to, but <laughs> you've got to have, like, one team that you feel like, okay, that was my favorite experience. It, Chicago Force. And I think not only one because – they, Coach Konecki demanded a lot from all of us, but especially people that he knew were capable of, you know, higher higher levels of play. And But not only that, so and I love being challenged. Everything in my life, if I'm not being challenged, I get bored and, and I'm looking for the next challenge, maybe why I've moved around so much. But um, And so they were always challenging you. And But also it was, it was two and a half, two, two and a half hours from my hometown. And so it was nice because – you know, my parents got to come watch me play, and, you know, I had friends that could come watch me play. And so it was almost kind of like my hometown team, in a sense, even though Indy uh, had a team at the time and still has a team, I believe. Um, so I think that that's why it's, it's my favorite is, is you know, the, the dichotomy of it, both the personal and the professional senses. I was always challenged on the football field, but it, was, it just felt like home because it was close proximity to my actual hometown. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, definitely that would make a that would be a big thing for me. What's your job that you're able to just pick up and move? <laughs> so, um I'm an exercise physiologist, biomechanist by trade. Um I've I've I can move through the um fitness realm into the 
um, medical side of things because of my background and, and my credentials. And so it, I have a lot of job opportunities because I can fill different titles in different fields. So um, it allows me to move around. So I could be a fitness manager. I could be a personal trainer. I could be an exercise physiologist in a hospital. I could be a biomechanist or movement specialist in a PT clinic. And these are all things that I've done. Um, and so it allows me to, rather than just like, okay, I have to look for this one job title, I kind of can look for a couple different job titles. Um, and it allows me to do things. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I could always be an independent personal trainer. So um it kind of allows me some freedom. It is tough because you have to rebuild, you know, rapport and clientele and whatnot. But since I like challenge challenges and I'm motivated by them, I don't see that as an as an issue and an obstacle. Well, very cool. That's awesome that you've had those experiences. Okay, my last question is is because you know Oscar Oscar likes to ha- ask hard questions on this show. So here's a good one. I love it. Okay, you wanted a challenge. Here you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, um, I'm fr- I'm friends with Brooke on Facebook, and I played with her in the recent All Star game. And so, how do you feel like your team? Because I mean, your or the, your new team. Obviously, you weren't with them last year, but you know, they lost in semifinals. And how do you feel like you or players view? Because she gets a lot of fanfare and she gets a lot of publicity on Facebook. And there's players that have been there that have worked hard. I'm sure there was a you know a starting quarterback last year. So how do you feel like that that handled um, so that it's not – first of all, I, I don't know. On the team I've played for you, everyone has to compete. So everyone's got to earn their spot. So how do you think that they're dealing with that or handling with that so that obviously she's not just the golden child or perceived by some to be a golden child and that she's not just handed the position? How do you think that's working out dynamic-wise? I mean, it is a girls' football team. Yeah. Yes, and that's important to note because the, the dynamics are different when it's a bunch of women. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie and say that it's it's been easy or it's going to be easy. Um, the one thing that I actually think works in Brooke's favor at this point in regards to that aspect of it is her youth. So a lot of us are older, and social media came around much later in our lives. And so we don't really need the limelight or look to the limelight as often as some of the younger generation. And so part of it is just, ah, she's young. Like, that's their generation. And some people are just like, yeah, let her do her thing. She's young. So her youth works in in her uh, benefit in that aspect. But – Wynn, who is the owner of the Mahai Blaze, and all of the coaching staff have made it very, very clear to everybody, including Brooke, everybody competes for their position. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care what your pedigree is. You will compete. And so we have quarterbacks right now that are practicing at quarterback. And um, if Brooke comes in and she needs some time to be developed, they have already told her that Yes, we would like for you to be our starting quarterback. That is why we are bringing you here. But she has to earn it. And that expectation has been set, and they have stuck to it. And I think that that's important because um, you have to have that. So many times in life, expectations aren't made clear. And then that's where, um, you know, miscommunication comes in. And so I think the fact that they've been very clear and frank about what the expectation is um, kind of keeps her in check. 
the fact that there are people on this team that she does look up to, I think helps because we have a lot of strong leaders on the team and people that are very comfortable with who they are and where they are in life. Um, I think it provides a, a rocker foundation for her to kind of help recenter or ground herself when she does start to get out there and she's like, yeah, I'm Patrick Mahomes' buddy and this and that. I mean, we, there are times where um, even my girlfriend would talk to her on the phone when we're all in a group setting and, and we all kind of give her a hard time just to kind of check her a little bit. But um, it's from a loving place, and she understands that. And and I think that us keeping in mind that she is only 18, she just turned 18, helps us keep perspective on, you know what, she's young. We were all there at one point. And so we can come from a place of understanding a little bit better, and it allows us a little bit more patience when, you know, her youthful side comes out and some of those things start to show, and we're like, okay, bring it back in. But um, it's cool though because I think that I think that she can. I, as she's eager to learn, and and she she does she wants to prove herself, and and that's that's important because it's going to be easy because she wants to earn everybody's trust and she wants to earn her spot and and she wants to show that she's capable, and so she's she's very coachable and she's eager to listen and she's easy when she does start to get, um, you know that young bravado. It's very easy to reel it back in and call her out on it because she is eager to learn and grow and, and, and be a part of the team, be a leader. Yeah. And she's the new newbie on the block. So yeah, yeah that sets it up. I got to tell, I know uh, we got to have another guest, but I was going to tell a funny story that happened at the all-star game. So there's a girl that Falcons that was one of the wide receivers and she runs a legit four, eight, and that's pretty fast for a girl. Dang. And, so, and yeah, and she's very good. And so, uh, one of the coaches, the quarterback coach, said to Brooke, "Well, hey, you know, if you can, if you can out throw her, I'll buy you dinner." So then it kind of messed her up mentally because she wanted to keep throwing to her to see if she could out throw her. And so finally, because <laughs> she's got a strong arm, you've seen that, and uh-huh. um, and she couldn't out throw her. And I said, "Girl, you're gonna hurt your arm." And because she got to the point where she wasn't looking any other way uh, in some of the reps, uh-huh. in the seven on seven reps. And I said, girl, you're not going to throw her. You're not going to get dinner. So you might as well just give up right now. Because <laughs> she thought, you know, you challenge. You're like, oh, yeah, dude, I can out throw her. And, yeah, she could never out throw this girl. So finally she stopped. But I was like, that, that's such a you know, such a youthful thing where you think, oh, yep. hey, <laughs> said that to me. I try a few times too, too. Uh, but I, I played with this girl, so I know I'm not going to out throw her. And so it was just funny. It was just a funny thing. So. Hey, oh, congrats. Oh, yeah. And yeah, keep going. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I see that. Brooke, Brooke is like that, and it's funny because I see when I was that age, I was very much the same way. And that you're right. It's something that comes with age. And so it's it's fun to tease her about those things because she is – she's out to prove everybody wrong. And, and so it's good because it's a strong motivator as long as you can keep it under wraps. So that, that's actually kind of funny. I'm going to – I'm going to – Yeah, so we got to go on our team. <laughs> I don't know if she runs a four eight, but she's pretty quick, and I might have to be like, "Hey, Brooke, you think you can out throw her?" I heard that uh, you struggled in uh, in uh, Vegas. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, because uh, it was pretty. I mean, it, it was a. She should remember. It wasn't just like a side little thing that happened. I mean, she should remember. And she tried. Boy, she really tried, and she started getting. Uh, we called it Lexi Love, because uh, that's the girl's name, Lexi. So she kept just <laughs> her way, trying to get her to, you know, out throw her and. 
just wasn't happening. I said, girl, you're going to hurt your arm. And she had kind of sprained her arm she got there uh, at one of your guys' camps. And so I said, girl, you're going to hurt your arm. It's not worth it in an all-star game. You're not going to out-throw her. So anyway, I'll let you go. Oscar, good talking to you, Jamie. Thank you, too, Lisa. All right, Jamie. Uh, so always entertaining. You're always on point. Uh, love your insights. Um, and so we're looking forward to your magical Denver year here because we know you're going to bring it. And uh, so it's been awesome to have you uh, come in and chat with us and looking forward to it uh, going forward in the season and maybe you'll chime in again to see where the Blazers are going to be at. But uh, always and congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. And anytime you want to have me back, I love talking. Anybody that knows me knows that. So um, just let me know, and I would be more than happy to be a guest again. All right. I will note that. And uh, always entertaining. I always love your passion and your drive. So Maha is going to be so on point this year. It looks like the roster is going to be very stout, and D2 better watch out. So uh, we'll, we'll touch base probably in about 90 days when the season kicks off and see where we're at. Awesome. Thanks, Oscar. All right. Have a great night, Jamie. Thank you. You too. All right, guys, that was Jamie uh, Forno, uh, legendary uh, journeyman of women's tackle football in the U.S. And so, um, Holly and Luis, uh, what do you expect? We just go from one pioneer to another pioneer, and that would be the Callie Bronson former D.C. Divas and Darkmouth football coach right now in the house. Callie, what's going on? Oscar, good to be back. Callie, what is going on? I mean, you're like everywhere, news, media, <laughs> man, superstar. What been, What is going on? Been, and been quite a, your it's team, been quite a ride, man. And your team has been like lights out this year. The, the whole team you're on, this is just a, a nice moment for Darkmouth football. Yeah, it, you know, 2018 was a was a good year to me and an exciting year. Um, you know, my last season obviously with the Divas, still a successful season even though we you know we didn't get the ring, but still a great season, something to be very proud of. And then obviously, uh, you know, events leading up to taking a job with Dartmouth and and then having a, a phenomenal season with them and and yeah, ending nine and one and fifteenth uh, in the country. Uh, it, it was a, it was a really good year for us. Yeah, I mean it's just it's been a, a good ride. Um, your whole your whole thing just came out as a surprise, but then all all of us that know you were not shocked. You know what I mean? Like the, right. the media right. factor on the other side was like, oh, the first coach. But you know us who kind of are familiar with your game and everything, we just we we knew you were going to do big things. I appreciate that. Thank you. So how has it been so far in the journey? Because uh, I got two two players are going to pick your brain on. So how how, how has it been on the journey over in Darnfield? You know, it's kind of wild. So you know, a little bit of background was, um, you know, this kind of was also a surprise to me as well. You know, I did an internship in 2017 with the Jets, and that's kind of when uh, the seed was officially planted that I wanted to work in football for sure. And um, was kind of trying to figure it out, just like, uh, you know, most women are in this industry and was uh, attending interviews and sending my resume to pretty much everybody. And um, it's it's kind of how life works. It's in the unexpected moments. So I got asked to go down and coach uh, a camp in Louisiana, um, and I think it was late July or, or early or it was early July. And it was 
uh, being hosted by the Manning Passing Academy, which is obviously one of the most prestigious camps in the country. And it was Manning, Manning Passing Academy hosting a clinic for women and girls. So that alone, you, you know, I, I felt like I had to be there. Um, uh, it was a monumental moment for the sport, and it was a nice bridge between the men's game and the women's game for, for this prestigious camp to throw something like that. And um, I got down there, and, and there was a lot of uh, women who were, you know, prestigious in the women's football community who were there. Uh, some divas, uh, some people from Seattle, uh, some people from New York, all over were there uh, representing for women in, in, in football. And uh, that's where I met Coach Buddy Tevens, who is the head coach of Dartmouth. And, um, you know, he and I got to interact a lot throughout the camp. And, uh, it, you know, it's funny looking back on it, and I got asked this a lot through the whole process was, you know, you know, did I, did I see that as a job interview? And, and it's, it's crazy because I didn't. I just saw this as somebody who – was a prominent figure uh, in college football, and and he's he's one of the heads of concussion technology right now, and a lot of a lot of the movement in the NCAA in that direction, and I, I kind of saw it as just a resource, somebody to pick his brain and kind of figure out what I could do to make my next move the best move, and um, you know, shortly after getting home, two weeks later, he called me and invited me to come up for an internship, and I, I did the two week internship and. On my second to last day, he offered me a full-time position. So it, it all happened really fast, and uh, I started that position three days before week one. So it was kind of just immediately zero to 100 miles an hour. Or so and and then uh, we got into the season and had a successful season, and and kind of the rest is history, I guess. Well, you know, it, it's it was no different. Like I said, no chalk to us that you were going to get to that level and and make it at some point. It just the opportunity had to be there. So uh, let's bring in Holly here to pick your brain on this great opportunity that you're at over in Dartmouth. Absolutely. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, it's been awesome to kind of follow your season there at Dartmouth. Uh, I know, like Oscar said, none of us were really that surprised because you're kind of one of those people that um, – not only were you an awesome player, but you're also very, you're pretty bright. And so it makes total sense to me that you would end up coaching at an Ivy League school. That It just seems like a fit for me. Um, I appreciate that. That being said, no problem. That being said, what do you think most surprised you about coaching in college? Um, I think, you know, not a lot really necessarily surprised me. I think the internship with the Jets, even though that's at a different level, um, you know, brought a lot of things to light for me about how these programs kind of operate. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest acclimation I had to make was actually having more interaction with the players. Uh, you know, when you do an internship or, or when you're involved at the professional level, you have some interaction with the players, but when it's college, it's, that's exactly who you work with every single day. Um, so I, I think um, a big part of it was was actually being able to do a job where you're overseeing player personnel stuff, you're overseeing film, you're, you're, you're watching these kids behind a screen for most of the day, and then the second half of your day is actually being able to interact with them. Um, that was a huge difference for me, I think, um, in my experience between the two. Um, as for, for actual surprises, you know, I, I don't know um, that, that I really had any. You know, I kind of went into it very open-minded. I kind of went into it uh, ready to absorb whatever came to me. I will say, though, um, and it's 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 interesting kind of in this environment that we're in but I was a little surprised at just kind of how well it was all received um you know we we are kind of guarded as women in football I think naturally through our time playing 
and um, kind of feeling like we're always fighting for something, um, I didn't have to fight. There was no fight uh, when it came to acclimating with the staff, when it came to acclimating with the players. I never felt like I had to fight uh, to prove myself. I never felt like I had to fight um, to, to have my seat at the table, which, which is nice. I mean, it's a refreshing surprise for sure. Um, but I would say that was probably the biggest thing that, that kind of, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Is this kind of, is this real? Is this how it is? Um, which, which, like I said, is, is a refreshing surprise to have. That's really, really good to hear. Um, do you think the fact that you've played um, helped you connect those players? Do you think that they they saw that you've done this and, and that got you some respect from them? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny, you know, we, we live in an age where social media rules and everything is, is somewhat on the Internet. So, um, you know, me coming up for the internship, even before I was ever offered the job, you know, Coach had announced to, to the players that, that I would be there. And I was there with Chanel Tillman as well and um, for the internship. And uh, they looked us up, you know, and they did their research and they watched our highlights and they watched interviews that we had had previous and they read our bios on our team's websites. And they had done a ton of research before we even stepped in the building. So, you know, they did their due diligence and, and, and rightfully so. You know, when you know, we're in the recruiting process now, and a lot of the players will already look you up as a coach before they even step in the building. So, um, yeah, I, I think that builds respect and, and the fact that they're willing to kind of take that initiative to look into it and, and kind of say, well, this person's going to come in and be a part of my journey, be a part of my season and my potential success this season. I want to know a little bit more about them. You know, they, they knew a lot about me before I even walked in the building and, and I give them props for that. And uh, so it, it was, it, that was also kind of nice too, uh, to be able to know that, you know, they looked into to my expertise and, and what I know and, and kind of my reputation in football as well. <clears throat> I think that's that's tremendous um, that uh, you've been able to have that connection with those players. And um, I'll leave you with this, um, you know, concerning the fact that you are coaching in the Ivy League uh, and the Ivy League historically kind of has a little bit of a different style and a different history um, in the grand scheme of college football when you compare it to, like, some of the, the big Power Five conferences like the SEC, right. the 12, the 10. Do you, what do you feel like the difference is in style uh, when you're talking about teams in the Ivy League? What do you think the differences are? Do you feel like players – I mean, obviously, when you're talking about Ivy League course loads, those are not easy. Do you feel like right. you're able to, to, to balance it out pretty well? Yeah, and, and, and it's all, it all goes back to kind of our recruitment process. You know, we, we don't like to bring in kids that can't finish four years with us. Uh, we don't like to bring in kids that we don't think can handle, um, you know, being an athlete at the Ivy League level. So uh, it's a big part of our vetting process in recruiting is, um, you know, can we find somebody who is capable of being an athlete and, um, you know, competing at the Ivy League level as an athlete, as a student, and as somebody who, you know, can ultimately uh, be a successful student athlete at this level. And so we go through an extreme vetting process when we, when we vet them as seniors. Um, and we even start it when they're high school juniors. Uh, so it's a process that involves uh, calculating something we call an academic index. So their GPA matched with their test scores. And then we also delve really deep into what classes have they been to, they've been taking their junior and their senior year. Have they been taking com competitive courses, et cetera? Can they compete at an Ivy level as a student? Um, so these are, these are things that we have to take into account as, re as a recruiting aspect because 
what good is a is an athlete that you bring in that can't um, uh, eventually finish all four years of, of their of their time with us at Dartmouth. Um, so it, it, it makes it difficult from a recruiting perspective. It makes it difficult, um, you know, just just as somebody trying to build a team for the next year because that takes a very specific young man to to be able to meet that criteria. Um, and um, you, know, you know, luckily for us, uh, especially after having a successful season. Uh, things have gotten a little bit easier in that department, but you know that's across the board for Ivy. Uh, it's it's tough. You have to you have to get kids. The Ivy League schools don't make exceptions like some schools do for football programs. Uh, they expect uh, their football players to meet the same minimum requirements that any other student applying would be. Well, that makes it a little bit tricky because, it, like you said, Power Five schools uh, they get a little bit more leniency from uh, their their admissions offices. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't get that. We have to kind of fight against that. So uh, it can be tricky. It can definitely be tricky, but uh, it's something that we as a, as a program have to really, really hone in. And, and, and the coaches that I work with have been a part of Dartmouth uh, for multiple years together. Uh, they're familiar with it. Uh, a lot of our coaches who are in top leadership positions, uh, i.e. coordinators, um, and, and guys who are in big positional coaches uh, positions have been in the Ivy League for a while. They've worked at other Ivy League schools, so they kind of understand the formula. They kind of understand the athlete that you're looking for, which is really helpful uh, because at the beginning of the process, you have this massive pool of kids who can play football. Um, we're not just looking for kids who can play football. We're looking for kids who can also uh, be the potential future leaders of industry. Um, so it gets tricky, but uh, – there is a science to it, and, and, and that's one of the fun parts about me being in my position is I'm starting to learn the science behind that. That's really awesome. I think it's fascinating to this kind of a game within a game. Um, right. And uh, But, you know, congratulations to you. I'm, I'm really excited to see Thank you. Uh, what else happens in your future. And, uh, you know, I'll be following you, and, and um, you know, I think what you're doing is awesome. So keep at, keep at it. Thank you, Holly. I appreciate that. Thanks. All right, Kelly. I'm going to bring in a college football girl, Troy Wilson, here to pick your brain. So, Troy, come on in. Hey, Kelly. How's it going? Troy, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Glad to have you on. This is awesome because, you know, you're, you're from uh, Alexandria, and I, I live in Alexandria myself, so that, I think that's awesome. That's dope. All right. And, uh, I, and I've seen you play. Um, up at the sports complex, I thought you were you, you were great out there. I really enjoyed it. That was one of my first experiences watching women's football. So you know you 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 were there during that. So I appreciate that also. Well, thank you, Troy. I appreciate that. You got it. Hey, so I wanted to ask you around your time when you were with the DC Divas. Around that time, did you start to – did you know at the time that you wanted to, you know, to get into coaches, to, to coaching, and also like the behind-the-scenes things at, at, you know, possibly the co- the collegiate and the pro level? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was a very raw thought um, in, in my mind of kind of just the fact that I knew eventually, you know, my time playing would end, and I didn't want football to end for me. And, and at the time, you know, midway through my career, I started coaching at the high school level. Um, but, you know, still at that time, I just, I wasn't sure how women fit into the equation um, at a higher level. I was perfectly prepared to potentially coach at the high school level. I was in a great environment where I was uh, coaching at Mount Vernon High School. It was my alma mater. I had a lot of support from the community and, 
you know, in my mind, that was potentially where it was going to go if that was my decision. I, I didn't know when the seed was in, initially planted, um, you know, where it would take me at a higher level, collegiate or pro. Um, you know, and it wasn't until, um, you know, the amazing Sam Rappaport, who we get to talk about a lot because of all the great things she does for women's football, um, you know, it wasn't until she launched uh, a program called the NFL Women's Careers and Football Forum um, that I really saw a gateway into actually creating a real career. Because when you think about high school coaches, at least, and you see them in, in Virginia, we're not talking Texas and, and California even, where those are their full-time jobs and those are salary kind of positions. You know, when you're coaching in, in Fairfax County and Arlington County and all of that, you know, these are you, – you're, you have your – actual job and then you coach high school um so it wasn't until you know that forum happened that I realized I could actually find a way to make a career and I, and I knew it was going to be tough because this was still uh, on the cutting edge of okay we're trying to create a pipeline not there is a pipeline we're trying to create a pipeline uh for women in football so you know all of us who've been kind of in this first five years of 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 getting into it are, are still on the we're creating a pipeline. Um, so, so you know, yes, I knew that I wanted to be in, involved after my playing career. I just at that time, so raw, was unsure of at what peak that would be. Awesome, beautiful. And so, I wanted to also ask you, working with working for Buddy Tevens. Now, I, I know he's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he actually yeah. recruited me out of. Uh, he was a um, he was the head coach at Tulane at the time uh, when I met right, him, and he right. was just a great guy, and uh, you know wrote letters and things like that. Stayed in touch. He just a, just a really really great guy. So I'm not surprised that he would be at a prestigious university like Dartmouth because he is impressive when you first talk to him. And so I wanted to talk. Wanted to ask about what is what is your what is his influence on you, um, and what is your relationship like with him. Well, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of intricate, and I don't feel like a lot of people in in my actual position get to have the relationship that they that I do uh, with their head coach and their program, especially at a Division One level. Um, you know, for me, he's the one who saw something in me at, at Manning Passing Academy. He's the one that reached out to me and said, you know, this is something we need to do, and and um, you know, he's my biggest fan in the building. Um, you know, and 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 I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of fans in the building, the entire staff um, and me have been very cohesive and uh, I couldn't be in a better place. But I mean, my biggest fan in the building is, is Buddy Tevens and you can't ask for a better environment than to have your head coach his fan. So, um, you know, he would do things in the middle of the season. And you know, This is a head coach of a division one football team. He's got a lot going on. And, you know, once a week would pull me in to just pick my brain about things. And how do you feel about this? And what do you think about this? And we'd watch film together. And, um, you know, I'm really lucky uh, to be where I'm at and to be involved with a guy like that who has invested. It's not just about, oh, I hired a female. It's I hired a coach who happens to be a female, and, and he really invests in me. Um, he, he saw something in me early, and um, he, he continues to try and build on that potential. And I'm really fortunate to have somebody like that in my corner. I mean, right, and, and I, I knew you were going to say when I saw that you were going to, to to Dartmouth and under Buddy, I was just like, "Oh man, this is going to be great. She, she's going to she's going to, yeah. she's going to shine." I, I really thought that. Um, so my last question for you is: You've done recruiting at the you know when you're at the college level, you're recruiting high school uh, athletes to come to your university. Right. You've also been on the side where 
you are with the Jets and you were also looking over draft prospects that are coming out of college, which one was the more difficult one to evaluate? Because there has to be – there's a lot at stake with all of these decisions. So, right. you know, which one was tougher for you? I think it's harder uh, looking at high school prospects. You know, you're looking at independent film um, that, you know, is through the high school on huddle as opposed to actual, you know, footage that you're getting from collegiate games and, and, and pro days and independent workouts that they're getting a little bit more organized. And you're looking at high school film and it's hard to judge scale of size and speed sometimes based off of, you know, it, it comes down to as simple as, quality of camera honestly can skew Got some it. of these things for you um and, and and so it's not until you can get a, a positional coach out on the road to either go watch a game in the fall which is hard to do because we're in season we try to do the best we can um or get them to go and actually go see the kid uh, after the season's over we have like a three-week period in december where we hit as many kids as possible and try and see them in person meet them as kids and and, and, and sit in the office and get a little bit more information about it. But it's, it's tough at the high school level uh, because you're trying to project what a 17- or 18-year-old is going to become. Um, whereas when you're dealing with somebody who's 22, 23, uh, graduating from college or 21, you know, they've grown into a lot of their attributes physically. When I was at 17 or 18, you know, they haven't. Uh, so you're trying to project the athlete they're going to be, whereas in college you kind of already have an idea of the athlete they are. Um, so, so that's very difficult is to kind of say, yeah, he's a little raw in X, Y, and Z, um, you know, and, and there's a potential we could develop that over the next four years. Um, whereas when you're looking at college players potentially going to pro, you're, you're saying, well, if he's already raw here, well, it's not going to develop. This is what he is as an athlete. So, so that tends to get, you know, you kind of have to have your crystal ball a little bit and trust your instinct um, about watching a player at the high school level. But that, that can get very, very difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely, especially when, you know, when you remarked about the speed of it also, because looking at the speed right. and and, the, and how they're going to project, it, it has to be much more difficult on that level. So I concur with that one. Hey, listen, I, I really enjoy talking football with you. I think you are brilliant. I cannot wait to see what you have in store for us next. Thank you for, for taking out time with me. And please don't be a stranger. Please come back to the show. We really, I, I know I really so thank you so much. Well, thank you, Troy. I always love talking to you. Yeah, Callie, it's a it's been a whirlwind, but uh, we love it. Uh, we've been like covering you the whole time, and uh, it's a, it's nice to let people know that hey, we know who you are and what you're capable of. So it's been exciting. I mean, just uh, the fact that you're there, and and so are you going to be there long term at this point, or is it year to year? What's the setup? Well, definitely. 2019 season, um, and then you you know we kind of see where it goes from there. Um, you know, I, I kind of have no plans. I'm I'm riding the wave as it is right now, just making sure that I'm focused on uh, staying in the moment and learning as much as possible. And you know, if, if me giving this job is any testament to just kind of you know staying focused and 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 taking it task by task, and then the doors open for you. Um, and, and that's kind of where my mentality is with it. Callie, um, can you dive into Welter, and you got King, and you got Locust at the uh, Alliance of American Football launching here in February. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it's three coaches. I think it's phenomenal in the in the semi pro league. I mean, it's already there. It's almost close. I don't know what the caliber of play will be. You, you know, similar NFL caliber, but reality is 
it's a it's a lower level from the from the NFL in reality, but hey, it's a start to get them inside and get them started. I agree. I think it's a phenomenal experience for for any woman who can get a, a coaching position uh, there right now. Um, and I think that 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 where we have a gap as females trying to work in football is the experience. Um, and 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 it's not just oh I did X many years coaching. It's well what are you doing in that time coaching? Are you working with film? Are you working with players? Are you working with coaches? Are you building scouting reports? Are what people in the NFL or if you want to be in big schools in the college level, that's what they want to hear you have experience and not you sit with a clipboard on the sideline and, and do check, check, check. They they want to know actual practical experience you've gotten. And the door that the AAF has opened for these women is practical experience. They're going to be working with them. They're going to be working with students. They're going to be able to finally put on their resume, um, you know, things that are practical that matter. Um, that are applicable skills at higher levels. And, um, you know, I think it's phenomenal. I think a league like this opening is great for the game of football. You know, um, Julie Ebersall, who is, is one of the launchers of the AAF, I watched one of his initial interviews when this kind of plan uh, started to unfold, and he said it perfectly. He said, uh, you know, what happens to the other six to seven months, eight months of the year that football is not on in the fall? You know, this is a target market that hasn't been touched in this time, and that's when the AAF season is. And he's absolutely right. People love football and would watch it every single day if they could. Um, so why not provide that to them? And this is also going to get exposure to women on the sidelines, some practical experience and applicable experience, like I said. Um, so I'm, I'm on board. I think it's a phenomenal thing, and I'm happy for the women who are a part of it. Um, and, and, and I hope that this season kind of knocks people's socks off and uh, provides more opportunities, um, you know, for, for not only the AAF to, con- to continue to exist, uh, but for women to continue to get jobs on the sideline. I mean, that's really what the bigger picture is all about. Transition, Kelly, in uh, D.C. with Mr. Hamlin, and now we got Rich Daniels. Uh, you were there yeah. at the, uh, you know, with them. So uh, how is that going, you think? And then you got uh, Rachel, Rachel Hahn now pretty much kind of administrative, aspect of it with D.C., yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been a little declassified. I got to go to the, the banquet and kind of rehash with everybody. I think the organization is moving in a in a very positive direction. I think uh, the moves they're making and, and the things rich and everybody involved, are, you know, the, the things that they're doing is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I wish the best for the Divas. I always will. The best nine years of my life. And, um, you know, I, I wish the best for them. And um, I think, you know, they're making good decisions and, and, and we'll continue to make good decisions as the future unfolds for them. And uh, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, I'm going to try to break away. Uh, you know, I, I wish the best for them. And, and I'm really excited to kind of see what happens with them this season and, and in the coming seasons with these new changes. Now, Callie, what did you think of the Adidas ad with the WFA uh, players? I think, you know, any time uh, – uh, a massive organization like that um, is willing to acknowledge women in football, no matter you know what league it entails or whatever it may be. Um, I, I think it's great for women in football because there are people out there who watch ads like this who still and it's hard for us who've been so involved in the women's football community. Uh, it, it's hard for us to ever imagine that nobody knows it exists, but there are still a bunch of people who don't. Um, so for them to be able to double take and say, wait a second, was that a woman in patch? Um, you know, that's, those are, those are, those are great things. 
Um, and a lot of whether we like to think it or not, a lot of minds were changed just by uh, you know a 90-second advertisement by Adidas. Uh, some people started to Google things. Uh, some people started to look into it um, and, and started to ask questions. And 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 that is exactly uh, kind of what we want. And uh, you know, I think you know, good on Adidas for, for starting to get involved in women's football. I think that's phenomenal. All right, Kelly. So uh, it was always a great time talking to you. Uh, we're really, really proud of uh, everything you've done so far. And obviously, you know, the uh, awesome season Dartmouth had as well. It's kind of a credit to you and your and the coaching staff around it and obviously the players. So uh, we're looking forward to obviously a, a similar season in 2019. And let's hope that that rolls out that way. Well, thank you, Oscar. And again, I appreciate everything you do for, for the sport and, and Troy and Holly and, and everybody else who comes on and, and contributes and spreads the news and uh, continues to build uh, credibility for what we're doing. You guys are phenomenal. So please, please understand that, that what you guys do makes a huge impact. Thank you, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Safe travels. We're going to look forward to uh, obviously the 2019 season in Dartmouth and see what that team's going to come up with in terms of, uh, you know, output, but uh, off season, uh, obviously the grind to get to that level, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're working hard, and uh, we uh, we got 10-0 and 0 on our mind for next year. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. Have a great uh, week, and we'll touch base uh, probably in the summer or so or in the fall as to, uh, to see when the season comes up. All right, Oscar. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Have a great night. All right, Troy, there you are, Callie Brunson. I finally got a hold of her. Uh, busy lady, a lot of things going on in the offseason, especially with college football coaching, and you guys just talked about that, you know, scouting and all that stuff, a lot of things that go into it, just not to play on the field on, on Saturday or Sunday. Man, I'm telling you, I, I could I could talk with her about that all day. I love to hear about, like, you know, the recruiting process and – and how to evaluate talent and, and things of that nature. And she, she's so sharp. You can just hear, like, uh, you know, she's, she's very well in tune with her job. And um, I just see nothing but great things for her. I mean, I just think she's really sharp as a tag man. So I'm, I'm happy that she has the opportunity. And, it, and she's right. It's not just because she's a woman. You can hear, you know, when, when she's explaining the process, you can hear how in tune she is. She knows what she's doing. And so that's I, I really applaud her for that, and I cannot wait to see what lies for her in the future. Yeah, and it's going to be pretty exciting uh, going forward here uh, in February when we basically start talking about the Alliance of American Football because we're going to be talking about Lori Locus, uh, Jen Welter, and we're going to talk about Jennifer King. So that's also going to be kind of a buzz mode for us going into February all the way down to the end of the season of the uh, AAF. So. Um, Troy, we talked about AAF last week. Pretty exciting. Um, it's kind of a blend of former players as entrepreneurs in, in, a, in a small scale, if you had to put it in a sentence. And now they're launching this huge opportunity for second, third tier players that would probably would never make an NFL roster. Pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, you get to see, you know, some of the other uh, uh, players that you that didn't quite make it in the NFL or some didn't make it to the NFL at all. And um, it's good to see those guys getting a shot at playing the game. I mean, we all dream, you know, at some point to play the professional level, but, 
you know, not a lot of us can can make it to the NFL. They say like one percent of all high school players every year are going to make, or even less than one percent. So, you know, to get these guys a chance to go out there and and, and play uh, a sport that they love to play, and it doesn't have to end with college or you know because of pro teams give it give them a shot. I just think that's just a great thing. You get you give guys a chance to do what they love to do. All right. So, Troy, we're going to go women's news and notes right now. We got you on. And then uh, Mackenzie should be rolling in here in a couple minutes. Um, the women's world football games uh, was canceled. Uh, that was per Kate Mitchell. Uh, she basically posted out that the USA football has decided to cancel the women's world football games and postpone them until 2020, which – uh, was kind of a sad thing, and everybody was expecting it to be this year. And I don't know who dropped the ball at USA Football or what happened at USA Football after Sam left, but it just seems like th- there's not enough fire like it was before to kind of put and showcase. There's a lot of international players on group boards very not unhappy because you have to make plans and dates and come up with funding to be at a certain event. So um, hopefully – you know, the 2020 events can be announced in like the middle of this next year. Uh, so that way everybody gets an opportunity to, you know, get time off and set flights and all that other stuff. And I think that would make it a success. The low turnout in the last uh, games was obviously because of logistics. I think that's, that was one of the bad things about it. Man, you know, I, I hate to see things like that because that is a huge event every year. And, and, you know, everyone is looking forward to it and, uh, you know, getting more acquainted with the game, especially some of the newcomers uh, into the league or into business of, of women's football. And that gives everyone a chance to, to you know, to, to learn from each other. And to see that it not happen, man, that's, you know, not to mention all the money that's lost from it. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's heartbreaking, man. So we'll see if that turns out. Um, we got Salty in the house now. Um, Mackenzie, we were just talking about the cancellation of the Women's World Football Games uh, per Kate Mich- uh, Michelle. Uh, she announced it today on Facebook that it will, will be restarted in 2020. So I think the buzz that Sam left, sort of a kill buzz now in, in this season because everybody expected it to be you know, on point, especially after the last time where the logistics was the problem where international players couldn't get time off and you got to get visa set up and all this other stuff that has to happen for you to even come to the States. That's super heartbreaking to me hearing that and seeing that. And I was, and that's ironically, we were, you know, we had our conversation about it um, earlier today. And I guess, I mean, I guess I have to say you were right because I didn't see that coming at all. Honestly, Um, not at all, not one bit. Yeah, and I think it was just bad in a sense that there was no communication after the last event. You would have thought if there was a problem with, uh, you know, whatever, trying to get an NFL facility or doing something, that somebody should have made an announcement of immediate cancellation or uh, regrouping. But to wait this long and then you, we had to go through hurdles like get Kate to try to find out why, uh, just not very good at USA football to do that, you know what I mean? Mhm. Yeah, and, and I, I'm more or less highly inclined to believe um, more or less what you were talking about earlier, as far as um, you know, not having the marketing or not, you know, not having certain those certain tools and aspects that that it has before. Um, yeah. And it really was Sam's passion, and she created it, 
And you would have thought that uh, when she left, it was a good thing to have because it's a kind of a formal training camp in a way where it's an instructional camp. And it's really necessary to have that because it happens in the under 19, you know, uh, realm of things under USA, under the USA football umbrella. It happens under the men's uh, USA football umbrella. So, you know, in terms of uh, the, the men's side. So this was kind of a historic movement to try to get the women on an annual basis uh, internationally as well as domestically to come in and kind of hone their skills and take it back to their you know, home teams or, or home league. So it was kind of a nice mechanism for that. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely, you know, agree. Like I said, I, I'm very upset to see that there's not going to be a women's world games in 2019, but you know, if you have, if you feel that you have to take, you know, take that year off or so to regroup, to try to, you know, get those gears going, then you got to do what you got to do. All right. Um, Let's talk, uh, uh, Troy, let's talk off season here, LFL off season. And it's been kind of a crazy off season. Uh, Acoustic finished the season. Obviously they get beat by the bliss and we have internal divide from what my sources have saying in terms of the players literally leaving Austin. We have players now, Michelle Marshall today announcing she's at the, going to play for the Atlanta steam as well as a couple other players. They're going to be announcing their, their formal uh, where they're going to go. And Atlanta seems a destination for some of them. You got Anna Garza, who's now going to be the quarterback in the Omaha Heart, which elevates them completely to credible <laughs> from the previous quarterback. Um, and then you got Michelle Angel returning from Seattle. And today, Mrs. Hansen from The Temptation is going to be on the Austin Acoustic. And then Sasha Cruz from the Mile High Blazers, as well as Denver Dream, will also be on the Austin. To Shay Winfrey coming back. Um, and then in Seattle, we announced that uh, the National Knights staple team of last year is now completely going to Seattle with Chris Michelson, which is Matheny, Schnorr, and Randall back in Seattle, and add Allie Alberts out of dental retirement to be a missed. What do you think of all that, Troy? Uh, I think we're just, we're going to have a whole lot more drama <laughs> during the season. <laughs> yeah, last year was one of the biggest changes. I think the most the biggest change was probably Chris Dell Harris uh, going from Chicago to Atlanta. But it's a lot of that shuffling around now this year, man. It's, it's going to be interesting when these teams get back together, you know, with all the discord that's going on. Man, hey. Troy, it's kind of like pushing that button and it just deactivate everything. Just everybody just shuffled. Yeah, it's just kind of unraveled, right? You know, it's just it's one of those things where you're trying to practice that card trick, and you know, and all the cards just fly all over the floor. I mean, that's that's what it's like right now. It's just all over the place. And we we have no idea how Chicago Bliss is going to be re re-energized after Coach Hack. Troy, we haven't heard any news about what the Bliss is. And why would Allie go to Seattle if she could just come back to the Blitz? That's a good question, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you got to wonder, you know, what the heck is going on. I mean, with Coach Hack leaving, um, so we don't know how they're going to be. You know, are they going to, you know, just going to keep the train rolling? Is it going to be like that? Or is it going to be, you know, more of a thing where you got Mike Marks coming in there? <laughs> 
you know. So it's, 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 it's be tough. I mean, we we're gonna keep our eye on that one definitely because I want to see how they respond to this. So it's gonna be different up there in Chicago, and we'll see if they can continue to win in ways. Troy Bellamy gets ousted out of Seattle after a good successful season, and you bring in Chris Michelson again. I have no idea. I'm scratching my head. Did he do a bad job? If you can get Michelson back, you do that. And, and you know, the one thing is, is you know, he was, he was he was a little temperamental last year. And so, you know, you saw some of the antics during the game. That may not I, – I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. But, you know, some people were commenting on it and had an issue with it. So, and then, you know what, you can't argue with Michelson's track record. I mean, the guy's a winner. You know, he's, he's won title. He's been there to the championship game. So, if he definitely, if he wants to come back, you you, you walk, you open that door for him. You, he walks right back in that door, and and hopefully he can get the program right again. I thought they played. I thought they fought hard, especially with Michelle Angel back there. I mean, so we'll see how they go. I mean, but look, he's the keeper. You know, he, he he knows how to run a program. So you know, we'll see how it goes for him. Troy, I have a, one question for you. What is it? How does it affect the night? Because everybody assumed Michelson ran the Knights, and now Danica Brace has to run the Knights. Well, obviously, minus yeah. Coach Hack as an adversary. Right, and and that's the thing. I mean, so you know, he I know he loves Danica Brace. I mean, you know, they they had they were together up there in Seattle, and you know, they know each other very well. And I just think he feels comfortable with her doing what she needs to do. You know. Um, and being on her own, and this is, you know, this will be the first time in a while that they've been separated. So um, it's going to be interesting when they get together. You know, I, I, it, it's definitely going to be must see TV because both both of those teams are great squads, and and they're both tough squads. So we always like to make play together. So we'll we'll keep our eyes out for it. Troy, um, Dane Robinson, off-season workout here. You pick up Michelle Marshall, and you get Lauren Ziegler and Dino Udowski back. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's called retool. And, and you know, they got, they got heavy hitters on that squad. And they're going to be ready to go. And, you know, those are, you know, possible future Hall of Fame players right there. So that's definitely going to move the needle in your favor when you can get those guys you can get on the field at once. All right. Um, Mackenzie, let's go to Gridiron West. Uh, we got two weeks left, one more week left technically. Gridiron West, a Rockingham Vipers uh, will be taking on the Perth Broncos this coming weekend. And you got the champion Blitz taking on Swan City, which is they haven't done very well. Swan City's 0-8-1. <laughs> so it uh, looks to me like Ooh. they're going to finish their season 0-9. But this weekend – uh, you can go to the hub at facebook.com, Gridiron Beauties. You guys get the lowdown there in terms of the Gridiron West action, courtesy of our network there. Uh, this weekend, January 11th, it was Swan City getting romped 26-0 to versus Curtin Saints. And then the Perth Blitz uh, just take care of business against Rockingham Vipers 20-14. to It was the matchup of the week. That's what we wanted to see, how durable the Vipers were against the champs. The champs do show up and beat 20-14 to to the Vipers. So, this is going to be a great finish. Um, it sets up the playoff picture pretty well as well, Mackenzie. Yeah, it does, actually. Um, and I feel like, oh, see, we have this problem last week. I can't pick. <laughs> like, I can't pick. Um, 
Nope. Usually I go for the underdog, but it seems to be the underdogs have been doing really well, which now makes me want to go for the favorite team. Nope. Are I, you can't, get Vipers, I can't pick. Vipers against Broncos. <laughs> Broncos are 5-3-1. Five, five, and one. They basically secure their uh, third spot, which is basically four top teams make the playoffs. So that's a pretty good deal there. They're, they're taking up a Vipers team that just came off a 20-14 loss. They're 7-2, and two, uh, number two already. So they pretty much secure their playoff spot as well. And then the Blitz taking on Swan City. Swan City really is playing for pride here because they got no hope to make the playoffs. So it's kind of like just a scrimmage game for the Blitz coming up this next week. Yeah, which which makes me oh, – I feel like they're, the Blitz is, is playing for pride, and I feel like that's why this is going to be such a good game, even though, you know, the favorite team has already secured their spot in the playoffs. Um, they're the blitz. I feel like the blitz is going to look to upset pride at this point. Troy, uh, it's been a battle all season in this league. Every game has been, been contested by under 12 points, no more than 20 points. So there's never been a real blowout here. It's always been under a touchdown or two or three, even less than that in terms of defensive battles. So this says a lot about this league and its growth. Yeah, see, that's what, that's that's what you want when you when you watch sports is you want parity, and that's what this league has. And man, I I got to keep I got to start keeping up with this one, man. So I haven't really been catching the games, uh, but I got to catch on to it, man. I I, I really want to check this out because, uh, like I said, when it comes to parity, especially when the women's football league, um, you you just see a lot more of just more competitiveness, and you see, you know. The, the the play ratchets up. You see a lot of that in the LFL when the LFL players, you know, when you got a team like Atlanta against Chicago. Um, so you, you always like to see that, you know, on the, on the upper echelon team. So I'm going to keep up with that more. All right. So you guys, Sapphire Series continues this weekend. We will have coverage all through the week, uh, courtesy of double coverage uh, in UK. So check it out at the hub at facebook.com, Gridiron Beauties. We'll have results plus the preview in the Sapphire series. If you haven't been keeping up with it, go back to our news feed, follow it up. Uh, BAFA Women, British American Football Association, uh, Women's uh, Sapphire Series 2019. And like I said, we'll be covering it wall to wall this weekend, uh, courtesy of double coverage in the UK. So keep up with it and we'll go from there. The other announcement from the UK was Birmingham Lions will be taking on Sweden's. Uh, one of Sweden's top teams, which is the Orlando Jets. That'll be March 30th, coming up this March 30th, and it's going to be an international friendly. Birmingham Lions, multi-time champion in the uh, BAFA women, will be taking on the uh, Orlando Jets of Sweden. So, Mackenzie, that's pretty awesome. We're having a lot more international friendlies, especially on, on the European side, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool. You know, I love being a good friendly. I really do. You know, it, it kind of shows you where the women's game has come from as far as where it started. Now it's more or less international than it has, than it ever has been. So, you know, I feel like part of that is because of the friendlies that, you know, that happen. Um, it's just, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah. And it, it's nice to have that because it kind of grows the uh, each other's programs. And so it makes everybody kind of stay up, up and up on what they need to improve on. Um, the other news that we had, 
sort of surprising was Shelby Lynn Osborne, who used to play for Campbellville in Kentucky for the Tigers, uh, just announced uh, about a couple hours ago that she is officially has signed on to the WFA Derby City Dynamite, which uh, she was playing on a basically on the uh, boys squad as well all through her college career there. And so now she's decided to formally play for Derby City Dynamite. So pretty, pretty awesome news there. All right. Um, see here. What other notes I have going on? Uh, so we have Baffle Women coming up this weekend. We also have, uh, if you want to get on a WFA squad, it's WFAProFootball.com, WFAProFootball.com. And then if you want to get onto a uh, WNFC squad, WNFCFootball.com. And there's also tryouts happening in uh, Mexico, tryouts happening in Canada, as well as uh, tryouts in the offseason are happening over in Gridiron, uh, New South Wales. And we'll keep up to that as we come into play. And all summer, all summer, we are going to be right there. Pulse of American football, women's American football. It's going to be at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauties. We kick off summer like nothing else. And that starts in March, April, all the way to August. Year-round women's American football coverage, news and notes here as well. Plus, go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties to keep up with everything that's happening in the game both uh, legend style as cool kid as well. So um, Mackenzie, let's talk the NFC championship, which the Cowboys are not part of. Just make sure you're uh, clear of that. Well, see, <laughs> even when you win, I still win. That's see, cause you, oh my God. Said, oh, it was going to be 17 points. I told you it was going to be between three and eight. It was eight points. Therefore you still lose and I still win. Yeah. Did I okay. say 17? But How horrible of a person could I be? Well, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But I will say this, okay? I personally underestimated the Rams' defense. Not going to lie. That's a thing. Um, Did you think Garrett did not realize that they were going to box seven on their biggest threat? I mean, I don't understand how he um, could not understand that. I mean, I understood that. But I'm yeah. pretty sure him and Scott Linehan didn't quite pick that up. Linehan, you can just throw mud pie on that guy's face. Linehan stinks. He's terrible. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Scott Linehan. Nor am I the biggest fan of Jason Garrett. Um, but I will say this. I am picking the Rams to um, beat yes. the New Orleans Saints Salty this weekend. on board. Salty <laughs> on board, yes. I am picking in, – in fact, here, I'll just give you my – my divisional, I guess, my uh, both teams or both conferences is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs beating the uh, New England uh, New England Patriots. It's going to be 34 to 37. It's going to be a field goal. And it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams beating the New Orleans Saints with the same exact score. And then wow. it's going to be Kansas City – Kansas City and LA in the Super Bowl, and I'm taking Kansas City. What? What? Yep, I know. I know. What? Be upset. Are you kidding me? Oh uh, my God! This game, is not right. No, but the, the, the Super Bowl right, will go. I, I have to. I have overtime. to say this. I have to say this. If Kansas City goes, I'm a. I am right now going to say, Brooke. I'm sorry, but I cannot root for Kansas City. <laughs> Okay, I just gotta say that now. If it's Rams, 
Chiefs. I love Brooke, but I know she's a big Chiefs fan. I have to say it right now. I have to go with my team, of course. But anyways, um, so you're taking the Chiefs to win it all. I am. But it's going to be a tight race. Troy, can you get off this hot seat over here? It's it's feeling very hot. You know what? First off, I I want to congratulate the Dallas Cowboys on a a Cowboy-like successful season. You know, they, they, they really played well down the stretch. But in the end, they just couldn't. They do the same thing that they always do. They just failed a game plan. And they had that game. I felt like they had they they would have just got away from the run a little bit more, and and thrown the ball, try to get the ball to Amari Cooper a little bit more. They could have been had on the corner, and you know what? That Dallas defense, they were strong all year, and man, you got to hand it to the Rams' offensive line. I don't think it was so much of Dallas's defense not being strong enough or good enough. We've seen them. We've seen what they do. I think it was just more of a thing where the Rams committed to the run. And, man, and what I didn't realize is that none of these guys have missed a game. None of the offensive linemen on the Rams team missed a game. All all five guys started all 16 games. I don't think I've ever seen that before. But, you know, you saw it's how very rare. they made it work, man. I mean, they made it work. You got to give – to me, you got to give all props to the offensive line. These guys ran for 270 yards on a really good defense. And it was just – it was insane. So, I, my hat is off to them. I don't even think Dallas played that bad. I really don't. Like, you got Cowboy fans that, you know, I'm sure – look, get off the bridge, all right? You don't want to get on the – don't jump off. You're all right. You, you're all right. Just don't worry about it. But I just think that they ran into a better team. You know, they just – and they knew how to game plan. If Dallas would have followed a similar game plan, and throwing the ball a little bit more. I just think, you know, it would have been uh, – it may have been closer or a different turnout, but you got to take your hat off to the Rams, though. Mackenzie, did you see that also? Like, the line was just overpowering the defense in that sense because they did have – I mean, the big boys on the defensive side for, for Dallas. Yeah, I noticed that they were being overpowered, which was very shocking to me. I'm not even going to sit here and lie to you. I was very surprised to see that. But in the same aspect, um, you know, any given weekend, any given Saturday or Sunday, anything can happen. And unfortunately, as history has repeated itself for Dallas, um, you know, the one-and-done playoffs, streak. But I will say this, as a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan and a player of the game myself, I personally I am not at all mad with the Dallas Cowboys season overall. Because we, you know, the Dallas Cowboys had that drought ended up winning having a hot streak of six six games. They salvaged their season if you have to say that, right? They they did salvage their season. They did what they had to do. They win the division. Yeah. They win the division. So it's not like they played poorly down the stretch. It's just like Troy's saying here. They just they got one game. They just got you know they got out muscled basically up at the front line. And the difference is was that basically because coming in you knew Los Angeles was going to key in on Ezekiel. If you didn't key in on him, you'd be an idiot. Well, yeah, and and that was the other thing is um, that's that's part of the reason why I am not the biggest Lenahan fan at all because they can make 
I mean, you, I mean, you guys watch the, the, you know, most of the season, most of the season, or I guess the rest of the season after the three loss drought, the Cowboys defense or offense slowly started progressing, slowly started, you know, picking up speed, picking up pace. Then they picked up Amari Cooper for that first round draft pick. Then the wheels, you know, wheels, wheels were turning, you know, got them into the first round of playoffs, essentially lost because they veered off of, the plan that they had been following the entire time, which is why I feel like Scotland and, and or Jason Garrett needs to be booted because you can't change a plan. You can't, like, you, I mean, you can change a plan, but you can't change it to where you think the new plan is going to be successful without having, you know, David test runs, you know, stuff like that. Why veer off of something? Like, why fix it if it's not broken, basically? Right. Were you surprised, Mackenzie, that the Eagles just couldn't, get past the Saints because they started off really hot, 14 points in, and then but then, you know, Drew Brees got a little comfortable, and then and they just ran away with it, basically. Yeah, I I was I was surprised, but I wasn't. I was more or less I guess the word is underwhelmed. I was underwhelmed at Nick Foles and the offense, and I can't really even say so much Nick Foles, but oh, Sean Jeffrey. <laughs> um, you know their their running game, Darren Sproles. Um, I just it was very the the Eagles' offense after scoring or after not scoring was very underwhelming to me. And I mean, and then again, you you have to give you can do nothing but give credit to the New Orleans Saints um, because they came out and played their game. They had a plan just like the Rams did against Dallas. The Saints had their, you know, had their game plan. They per- they over executed their game plan to the fullest and just ran away with it. Troy, you, we weren't surprised the Colts could not keep up with the Chiefs, right? Even though I tried to give them a prayer and, and figured that they might pull an upset, but after the first quarter, you kind of saw this huge debacle. Just so the one thing I was surprised about with the Chiefs is their defense. I hadn't seen a defense step up like that all year long. All, all year long, and um, you know they routinely been torched. And the Colts are an extremely good offense, so I was surprised that you know they handled the uh, the Colts as well as they did. I mean, they were flying around; they looked faster than they have all year. And um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a warm day out there either. And it's you know, not to mention they they have coming up where this game is going to be six degrees and they said it could be like six degrees or it could be like a little bit below zero. So, you know, it's going to be another cold day, but it didn't seem to affect them last week. And, you know, the Patriots also used to it also. So let's not forget that. But yeah, I was just surprised how that defense played. I mean, I thought they would have been spectacular on offense. They were, and the Colts just really just couldn't keep up with it. They were, and I said last week, they couldn't cover two this team. And they lit them up pretty early trying to run coverage. And the Colts got out. And the Colts are not used to playing, you know, they they play other coverages, obviously. But their game is cover two. That's what they're good at. Their players are built to play cover two. And the Chiefs just weren't having any part of that. And, you know, if you got a a quarterback with an arm like Mahomes, he's going to fit it into those zone spaces. And that team is not good at playing man-to-man. If they, and when they did play man-to-man, they just, you know, uh, he saw him on the crosser all game long. So, 
So it was just, you know, he was out there throwing darts. He was just playing games out there. I mean, it was just, it was a no contest. And, and it's not his fault. It's not the, you know, Andrew Luck's fault. Well, I will say this. Andrew Luck has to hold on to the ball also. He can't, yeah. you know, turn the ball up and deal with those yep. fumbles. That They could have, you know, it's a possibility where they could have got back into that game. But Andrew Luck definitely had to play better. Um, and he just didn't. He just did not get it done out there. Uh, Troy, if you're Tom Brady, you're pissed off because everybody's saying you're old and your team is just not very good anymore because they're aging. And if you're Edelman and them, you you come into Chief, into the Chiefs territory and you just you're going to take off the young man with this huge hype. You know the one thing I like about Tom Brady, the one thing I love about Tom Brady, is he finds a way to be pissed off about something. I mean. Look at this guy's life. I mean, he's you know he's a handsome guy. He's got a beautiful wife. You know, supermodel wife. He's got everything you know that she would ask for, and yet and still he finds a reason to be pissed off and to just go out and destroy like he does when it comes playoff time. And did you know, the Chargers even show up? Man, it it didn't look like it, man. You know, and I I mean, but you know what? Some we were talking about this online. And we were also saying things to the fact of, you know, San Diego had to they had to go east and play Baltimore, and then they had to travel back to California, then back east again up to Foxborough. And you know, people were saying the travel time is an issue. Plus, they had to play at, uh, at what is virtually ten o'clock in the morning. I think that so the time had a zone? bit to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you're playing at 10, 10 o'clock Eastern when you're used to, you know, playing games at 1 o'clock. You're playing 10 o'clock in the morning now. I think that has a, has something to do with it. Um, but you know what? And when it comes down to it, they had to get it done, and they and they couldn't. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes down to it, their legacy is going to be that where they get stopped by the Patriots. But they got a lot of people to share that with in that whole conference because the Patriots are just flat out showing people how to get it done. And when you go up against that team, you know it's more more than likely you're going home against that buzzsaw because if you got Brady and Belichick out there, out there, they they their chances are are going to be infinitely better with that with those guys out there. And as long as they're there, I can't bet against them. I'm not going to bet against them this week. I made the mistake of doing it last week by by going for the Chargers. This week, I think it's going to be the New England Patriots. I think they're going to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs because that Chiefs defense, I don't believe in it. I don't want, you know, that defense that you saw last week, I don't think you're going to see that defense again this week. I don't think they can do it two weeks in a row. So, and not to mention Brady and Belichick, best game planners in the business. They show people how to get it done. I'm not betting against them again. I'm taking the Patriots. Mackenzie, are you taking Brady and the pissed off mode that he's in? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm sorry. Not? I'm not taking. No, I'm not taking Tom Brady. Um, honestly, I think it's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's, I mean, obviously, it's gonna be a battle between, you know, the new kids on the block and the veterans of the game. It'll it'll definitely be a shootout. Um, I I kind of have to disagree with Troy, only in the sense that the Kansas City Chiefs have been hot all season. Um, and their defense has improved the entire season, not just not just from being dominant the entire regular season, but they have been, you know, they've been coming up big when they need to, and which is why I think it's going to be difficult for Tom Brady to do what he normally does. Granted, he will do what he normally does. 
he'll pick apart the defense and he'll he'll make you pay when your defense messes up. That is that's a thing. Um, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it going the Patriots' way. I mean, the Chiefs figure, you know, we've gotten this far. Why why stop now? Where Tom Brady is, I feel like he's fighting for that sixth ring, and I think he's just he's gonna over he's gonna overthink things. He's gonna over. All right, so gonna, I'm gonna give you the key to the yeah. game here. No hunt. Williams is not a hunt. The difference will be a lack of run game, and if the Patriots can stop that, they win. The Rams on the other side, if they play their game, and my big big boy C.J. Anderson does his thing, that's the key to the win right there. And if Goff minimizes interceptions, uh, if we can penetrate the Saints, we're in. So Super Bowl prediction right here. We're going to go Rams, Patriots in the Super Bowl. And, Mackenzie, you had Rams, Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And, Troy, what is your Super Bowl pick? Well, I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams. And I think the Rams yeah. are going to win it because finally popcorn. Yeah. Hey, listen, the, the new the – New Orleans Saints, their defense, they're ranked 29th against the run. You saw what Gurley and, and, and the rest of that offensive line did last week. And also, uh, you know, that entire running game. Sheldon Rankins is out with, for the New Orleans Saints. He got hurt last last week. And so that was their best defensive uh, run stopper in the front. And I just don't think they're going to have enough to slow that game down, you know. And, and not to mention the Rams are going to want to control the clock because that also takes the crowd out of the game. I really think you're going to see a double dose, a huge run of game. And I think in the Super Bowl, you're going to see the New England Patriots and the L.A. Rams. And, again, I just stated this, I'm not picking against Belichick and Brady. I think Greenland wins it, and they get, you know, a, a reprieve from last year. Well, I'm not going to go that far yet. I'll wait till that game shows up. But I, you know where I'm going with. You know who I'm going with. I don't want to be losing to that guy again. Super Bowl 36 is just a horrible memory. That's all I'm going to say right now. Anyways, um, it was a great show. We had Kelly Brenton uh, from Dartmouth Football, former DC Diva great, and also uh, USA Football uh, legend. And as well as we had Jamie Forno, always the journeyman of the WFA, and she's going to be in my hot place for 2019. So uh, for the absent Holly Custis, Louise Bean, and for uh, – Mackenzie Brooks and Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez saying we'll see you here next week on another edition of the best podcast, Talking Women's American Football, the Gridiron Beauty Split, right here on Block Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Player FM, and tune in. Have a great night, everybody.